On today's episode, we're talking about Dwight Powell's future with the team, which is really a bigger discussion about the team's future in general. And then we've got some audio from an interview I did with Bill Walton. Makes it a two-point game. There's your mismatch right here. Now it's Luka. Deep three on Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast as part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Tim Cato. I'm the Mavericks beat writer for The Athletic. And today we have uh, two people. One of them you might know. His name's Dave Dufour or something like that. It's still Dave Dufour, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, for now. For now. Okay. Until, okay. I, uh, until I come up with a new grift. Okay, that's what I figured. But, you know, it's always good to check. Uh, we've got Bobby Corrala, too, of, uh, of Mavs.com. Or should I say Carrera? No, it's it's Carella. It's Carella. I appreciate it, Tim. That's a, that was a wonderful intro. I'd expect nothing. Uh, nothing. Robert less Robert Car- Carrera. Whatever you want to call me, honestly, we're we're such <laughs> good friends that you could you could call me anything you want, and I would love it. There is a um, amusing bit that I will just mention that a certain um, person at Mavs games often gets his last name wrong when uh, when introducing him for a uh, for a pregame. Uh, a preview of sorts, a preview, player preview, something like that. A lot of Carreras thrown around. But, uh, you know, that's okay. You know, I have certainly mispronounced many names on this podcast. Including mine. There's, absolutely. There's, there's a reason I'm a writer, not a speaker. Yeah. So, Bobby, you're in, you're in good company. <laughs> that, that's, that's good to hear. Luckily, yeah. the show is not about me, though, so... Uh... But but it it is it is Corella like umbrella. Just think of Rihanna whenever you think of me. I, we we have a lot in common. Yes. Okay. That's that's good to know. And I think that we've all learned something here. You know, even if the rest of the podcast is just horrible, we've all learned something about Bobby. And that's that was that was why we brought him on. He's. So, I always said he's the Rihanna of Mavericks media. So. You know, I, I've thought of myself that way for a very long time, Dave. So it's it's good to hear that from someone else. Yeah. I I would like to claim the Beyonce title and um, be careful. We'll, we 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 should get into this at a at a later point. Yeah, with, be uh, careful with a lot more seriousness. Yeah, if you invoke Queen B, you're you're uh, <laughs> barking up the wrong tree. I don't know if I have a Cato hive like she has a Bay hive. Um, <laughs> I'm really not sure. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I well, I, I I definitely do not. If so, there's a Cato so, hive, it's well hidden. Let's just put it that way. Let, let the record show that, that Dave Dave is uh, Dave is as responsible for derailing this podcast this, this podcast intro oh, as, as I, am, I am. Yeah, I'm awful at staying on task on a podcast. Cato hives stand up. I'd love to meet those people. <laughs> there's like uh, two of them, and one's my mom. <laughs> but <laughs> oh oh, shout out shout out Sue. She's a uh, she's a real one, Mama Mama Cato. So we uh, we have basketball coming back sooner and sooner and sooner. And in fact, we hit another milestone, which was July 1st, which is usually a frantic, frenzy day of free agency and instead was the first official day of uh, individual workouts as teams start to come back. And the biggest news of the day, it felt like, was Rick Carlisle saying, oh, yeah, I saw Chris Stapps and Tim Hardaway shooting on the same basket. They're allowed to do that now, which... Just a stark, um, stark difference of the way that July 1st usually go and, and the way this one went. But um, as a byproduct of it being an official day of workout, I, I think that was the reasoning. We had a press conference of sorts, or, or at least we had media availability with with Donnie and Rick Carlisle. Uh, you can read about that on TheAthletic.com. Uh, I, I talked about how, how Donnie kind of went into the depth chart. He talked about Trey Burke as a signing. Um, he talked about why they didn't sign a big man. Uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, my my impression, um, our, our impression, I think, is you know maybe they just you know all of the ones they saw on the market, there wasn't one that was both willing to come to Orlando and better than Boban, uh, which makes sense. And if if you kind of look at the free agency market, um, you know there's a there's a certain Demarcus Cousins who I think it was reported uh, is is was not willing to go to the to the bubble. You know, maybe maybe that's the only player you could argue is better than Boban. So, you know, just you could you could put you could connect dots there and, and you know, maybe there's something there. But and maybe there's something there with with him with with Donnie saying Justin Anderson when when he meant Justin Jackson twice 
throughout the 30 minutes that, that he was talking about it. So that that's all interesting, but we're not going to dive into that. That's all on theathletic.com. Instead, uh, we're going to talk about Dwight Powell, someone who will not who will be at the bubble, but who will not be available, and uh, who has just an interesting future with the team. So I wrote about this as well on Wednesday, uh, but but I've been rambling for a while. So Bobby, let's kick it to you. You've read that piece as well. What were your overall thoughts on what I wrote and, and then just generally about Dwight Powell's future with, with this team? Well, I think you kind of hit the, the the main point of the entire debate. Like at the at the core of this conversation about Powell's viability as a starting center for this team, whether it's in the short term or the long term, of course, as well, you're not really talking about him. You're talking more about KP. Um if Powell is your starting center, then obviously KP is not your starting center. And we saw after Powell ruptured his Achilles, that was in late January, for a couple months there before the hiatus began, Porzingis' numbers just went way up. And he, he, I mean, he went on record and said, when I'm more involved in the offense like that, you know, setting a lion's share of the screens, uh, you know, really being involved in every action, as opposed to being that sort of weak side shooter, spacer, uh, that's lurking for, you know, to, to scoop up open jump shots, he is able to establish a rhythm earlier in the game, feels more confident, his shot's good, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, he's scoring 30 points in a game. You know, I, th- I think he had 40 against the Pacers one game. I mean, he's just, his numbers at the five are incredible. But what's interesting to me about this whole conversation is that it's all, it, we're dealing with such small sample sizes, right? Um, this season, for example, the trio of Luka, KP, and Dwight Powell, they've been off the floor like all three of them have been off the floor for more minutes than any combination of those three players has been on the floor, like with or without the other. So it's just very interesting how they, they've all been injured. You know, KP's numbers were incredible without Luca, but with Powell. And then Powell got hurt, and KP's numbers were incredible with just Luca. Um, and then KP was good without both of them. And so it's just this very interesting kind of um, conundrum where you may or may not be making decisions about your starting lineup based on half a season of data. But uh, I guess we're going to find out the answers to those questions pretty soon. You know, I mean, you you can't really hide uh, flaws in the playoffs. And of course, with Powell not playing in the playoffs, we won't know until really next season. But if KP goes to Orlando and just plays awesome, then, you know, maybe you're like, okay, yeah, let's go all in with him at the five. Dave, I want to kick it to you for some, for a continuation. But first, I I will say the one thing that that Bobby said that, that jumped to mind and I think it was probably the one thing I left out of the piece the most was that obviously Chris Stapps has autonomy over this decision as well. If he decides I want to play the five, it, it doesn't matter if he could play the four just as effectively. If he believes he wants to play the five and he's telling that to, you know, the, the front office, that is also a factor, you know, that, that will determine, you know, Powell's future. And, and again, it, it's not really Powell's future. It's the future of how the Mavericks build around Luca and KP and yeah, whether I- KP. Yeah. Yeah. If I can just go a little bit, just like um, just a little bit more meta basketball stuff, it doesn't really matter who is the four or the five. It's who's the weak side guy, right? On defense, on offense, we know KP is going to be the floor stretcher, and they just need the other guy to be the role man. Uh, and and Powell was fantastic at that. Well, really so I push back because that's that's what KP said is that he liked being the role man a lot of the time i, I understand but okay. but we know kp a certain amount of the time is going to be stretching the floor he needs to honestly this team needs that so you need whoever is with him to be able to be the role man when he's stretching the floor right you need that option they run so much high pick and roll you need to have that at all times ideally you have a guy who can be like a kp who you know can roll and stretch like that's the ideal scenario is to have two guys in that position that are basically interchangeable. It'd be great if they both could protect the rim like KP does. But the defensive end is where this really matters. And, and so if you can use KP in that, in that four-man defensively, um, that four-man role defensively, kind of like Kevin Durant was for the Warriors, where you would have Draymond Green as your center, maybe a little bit undersized, but Kevin Durant offered all that rim protection coming from the weak side. The issue becomes what happens when KP has a guard on the perimeter where he he isn't as good as Powell. I think Powell has done a much better job using his strength, keeping guys from getting by him on, on the wing. And so, um, you know, at a certain point, whether KP wants to be the four or the five doesn't really matter. It's how Carlisle is going to cover up for the, the places where there are deficiencies 
at the four and five, no matter who it is. Those positions are going to be interchangeable for this team. Yeah, well, I think kind of the, the main sort of, um, I guess, if you want to call it a weakness, probably the main weakness of this team is offensively, I, I think it's team speed and quickness, but defensively, uh, I think it's strength. You know, they, they get, uh, they, they've gotten out-muscled at times, and if you go KP at the five full-time, then suddenly your your defensive four is probably going to be Dorian Finney-Smith, who is 6'7", 220. Um, and, you know, right now they also have MKG, but he's a free agent, so I don't know what his situation is going to look like moving also forward. Also bad at basketball. Well, I mean, he's at least a beefy defender, you know. I mean, the thing is with Luca, Luca's such a generational offensive talent that you could put four, you could put the three of us out there, and, I mean, they would be an above-average offense. I mean, he's he's that good. He creates shots that are that easy, but... To Dave's point, defensively, if they do need a little bit of strength, um, you know, Maxi Kleba is a strong guy. Obviously, he's very thick, but he's he's six ten too. I mean, you don't want him guarding wings consistently, and I don't necessarily think you want Dwight Powell doing that either. And uh, I, I feel like KP is more of a Brooke Lopez than a Giannis if you want to talk about the Bucks defense. So um, it's it's kind of interesting, I guess. If if there is one area that they could really stand to upgrade in, it would probably be. I'm kind of with Dave, maybe just a, a longer, bigger, stronger guy that could play four or five defensively and sort of be interchangeable with KP. But those guys don't grow on trees because you also need that player to be able to shoot a little bit too. And there's like maybe 10 of those guys in the NBA. So it's this really like, it's this really, it, I don't even know if it's a predicament because again, their numbers with Powell on the floor are so good offensively. Defensively, it's you know, hit or miss, but also, I mean, Luke is so young and, you know, they, they got, you know, Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway. These guys aren't, you know, your, your lockdown defenders or anything, but, um, I don't know. It's almost like a conundrum, but it's like a good problem to have. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's just really weird to be thinking about this as like a weakness, but it kind of is like a, it, it's almost decision time. Well, to, so let's, let's build out the specific conundrum again. And kind of the one that, that the premise that I based the piece around is that, the Mavericks right now have three big men, you know, rotation big men. Obviously, one is one is KP, one is one is the star of your team that you're building around no matter what. And and the question is, can you have two more traditional big men? Um, you know, as, as you know, even though Maxi is untraditional, you know, Maxi and Dwight are both traditional in their size and largely the way they the way they play. And and both of them can play the four can play off Porzingis. It might might be an even better way to say this since we're really moving past positions at this point. Um, both of them can play off Porzingis. But do you want them playing off Porzingis? Or do you want them backing up Porzingis and only using you know these two big men lineups um, in, in the situations that call for it? And I think there's a difference between you know using them when, oh, you look at a game and, and you're being out-muscled and you just need some more size and you deploy two big men then if you go into the season saying, you know, every game we're going to go to that two big man lineup. And I think that's, you know, largely that is what they did this season. They they were always playing two big men. They were always playing Dwight and Porzingis. Those were their two starters when everybody was healthy. And they would play Maxi. And there was games, you know, I, I reference a game. Um, and it's a game me and Bobby were talking about. And, and there's a game against Brooklyn in, in early January where Dwight wasn't effective at first. Um and and we can go into why that is in, in, a, in a little bit, but but Dwight wasn't effective, and, and but Maxi took his place four minutes into the game, and then started the second half. So clearly, this season was all about having two big men at all time, two traditional big men, Chris Stapps and either Maxi or Dwight. And the question for the Mavericks going forwards is: Do they want to do that, or do they want to commit full time to Kristaps uh, Porzingis being the full time five? And the the answer the answer they they get for that question is, is what I believe will determine Dwight Powell's future. Not because he's a good or bad player; it has nothing to do with him as a player. It's all about if if you determine Kristaps will be playing five by himself as as the only traditional big man for most of the time, then you don't really have room for both Dwight and Maxi. And I think Maxi, because he's a little bit more flexible, is is the more natural player to keep out of those two. Um, and and I think this question also applies to the postseason because. Even if you have a different plan for the regular season, the postseason trends much more towards smaller basketball, where usually you are only going to have one traditional big man. So that's that's the framework. That's that's the overview of this question, and and that's what we're trying to determine. Like, what is the best way for the Mavericks to go forwards? What is the best way for them to use Porzingis? And 
as as a result of that decision, what will come of the two big men, or the, the two traditional big men they have on the roster? And in my eyes, it's it's not Maxi, it's it's Dwight that that future potentially hangs in this balance one way or the other. Some of that but is kind I, of dictated by the direction the league goes, though, right? Right. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, like right now, toward the top of the West. I mean, obviously the Lakers are going with Anthony Davis at the four, and if they transition away from JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, which is entirely possible. It could happen. If they make that transition away from those guys full-time in the regular season, then yeah, all of a sudden you're going to be in a situation where you have to keep up with the class of the league. But also Denver, for example, I know they're kind of moving around Paul Millsap in the rotation a little bit, and he's a free agent this summer, I think, anyway, so maybe he won't be around too much longer. But uh, whenever you have these teams toward the top that are still playing kind of two traditional bigs, then I think you can get away with that. Um, but if the decision is made to go super small all the time, then, um, yeah, I mean, teams are going to defend you. They're, they're going to clog the paint and really sort of, you know, drop their big man back and make it difficult to attack them in the pick and roll. But uh, right now the league is such that there's still kind of fertile ground for full-time rim rollers. Um, but in the playoffs, of course, that is it, it, the game does change. It, it definitely changes in the playoffs. You know, the Warriors, even for example, this is before KD, they had the lineup of death or whatever, uh, but they only use that like break glass Eight or nine in case minutes of emergency, a game. like if, if it was really winning time, you know? Yep. And, and I just, as long as there are teams playing traditional bigs, I think that you almost have to have bigs to protect KP because I just don't want him taking the, the bruising all year long for 30, 35 minutes a game against the biggest guy. I think having Powell out there and Maxi and, you know, other guys that may or may not come along uh, could help just sort of protect him from, you know, general wear and tear that you would incur from an 82 game season. How do you build a team for both the regular season and the postseason? See, like, that's, that's the, you need yeah. generational talent. This is why like the NBA is a talent driven league. The more talent you have on your team, the more success you're going to have in the playoffs. It's just how it works. The playoffs are when that talent really stands out, right? Like you have seven games against a, another team. The most talented team almost always wins. I mean, upsets are so rare in the NBA. So it's more about like collect as much talent as possible and then try to make it fit is a good course of action. But the problems that the Mavericks have from, from a build-out perspective are very similar to other teams that have been in this position with players like Porzingis, right? The, these uh, quote-unquote unicorns. There, it is difficult to find what you need to go next to him, which is essentially a clone of Porzingis. It's pretty close, at least. Because finding one is really hard. Finding the second one is where it gets to be almost impossible. And, and like you brought up the Warriors. Well, the Warriors have a generational defensive talent in Draymond Green. You could plug him in to just about any position to defend and you're going to have a really good defense as long as, you know, he cares and isn't playing with G leaguers. But when you can add a Kevin Durant to that, uh, then it gets to be something even more special. And so, you know, barring the, the Mavericks being able to find a Kevin Durant type, this is where you are just going to have to pick, you know, you essentially the best of what's left. If that makes sense, there is going to be no perfect partner out there, especially in the next two years. Unless you can get Giannis, there is no perfect partner. So you need to find someone that has as few deficiencies as possible in trying to attain that goal. And, you know, again, like we talked about last week, when you start with Luka and KP, you already like you're already a 50 win team. Now you're just trying to get to that 60 win championship level team. So how do you fill out? the spots where you really need help and that's in that you know that four or five man role whatever it may be so so if that player is, is if that player is finney smith and if if the mavericks are beginning the let's say the 21 22 season with porzingis and finney smith as as their as their front court as as their two quote-unquote big men like mm-hmm. What's what's your take on that? Like, is that is that? Well, a, I, th- I think the the Finney Smith drop off could be big, but it's going to be matchup dependent. Right. Not every team will be able to take advantage of it. But going smaller like that, there's a big advantage right now. I mean, if you look, like he pointed out, the Lakers are big, so you're going to force the Lakers to play your game because they they won't be able to keep up. Like Dwight Howard has been great, Javale has been whatever, but Dwight Howard's been fantastic in the middle, but. Is he going to guard KP? No, you're going to have Anthony Davis. And now you're going to have another mismatch. 
because Dwight's going to have to guard someone who's going to pull him out of the paint. That's right now. I mean, with Dwight, uh, if you had Dwight Powell, Howard clearly would have a, a, a natural person to guard. But if it's Maxi, well, now you've pulled Dwight Howard out of the paint where he's effective on defense. Yeah, so I think this really – They I, have I options. This, yeah, this whole conversation, I think, in, in my opinion, at least for now, only pertains to the playoffs. I mean, in the regular right. season, they have this epic offense and – Unless the entire league, all 30 teams, just starts playing this extreme drop coverage against them, which is possible, but I think it's unlikely, um, there will be plenty of points to be had in a Luka Powell pick and roll. I mean, you look at the the top screen setters in the NBA uh, in terms of points for possession off their screen set. Dwight Powell is number one, KP's number two, Maxi's number seven. This is of the top 75 guys in number of screens. So, like, they run so Colley much signs up there too, amazingly. They, <laughs> they score so incredibly well because Luke is that good but in the playoffs obviously teams can start taking stuff away and so I think if you are going to make can can, so real quick I don't think we we didn't get into that like specifically the drop coverage you're referring to and the problems it it creates um with Dwight yeah yeah just run through that because I know I know you can explain it well yeah yeah so I mean in the regular season every team is just playing their system because they just want to play the game and then go to get on the next one because there's 82 and like very few coaches, I would say, game plan heavily for one single game. You'll just drive yourself crazy if you do that. And so, um, in a playoffs, though, you're gonna you're gonna pull out all the stops. And so, a, a drop coverage is basically. I mean, I don't even know if it's a drop. This is like its own. This is like borderline illegal. The way that teams defend uh, some pick and rolls. Very like much the Lakers. Illegal. <laughs> if you watch Javale McGee defend or the Nets with DeAndre, there there are a few guys that do it. Whenever their man goes out to the perimeter to set a screen, especially in the middle of the floor, if they can't shoot, if that screener can't shoot, then JaVale will just park his butt right under the basket. And you can call him for three seconds almost every single time, but it's like the, the 08 Celtics. If you just do it enough, eventually they're just going to stop calling it. The, you know? and so coaches, coaches, game, will call it two, coaches will call it 2 nining. Where you're supposed to you're supposed to be in the paint for two point nine seconds, like oh, they tell yeah. their big men, and then pop out real quick. Now it, it ends up being more like four point nine or something mm-hmm. because yeah. people people definitely just hang out in there. But that that is the the concept of that strategy is that you are basically playing uh, the the middle of a two three zone. Like just imagine it like that. You're the middle of the two three zone. That is your defensive assignment, and because there is a defensive three second rule, you're you're you know your coach to just pop out of there for a moment just to reset your your counter and your timer barely pick your foot off the ground you know seriously Dirk, Dirk yeah. did that all the time he'd kind of like do like a i don't know just like a, he's like he's playing hopscotch you know in out right in out um but so what that does is you know if, if deandre whatever's standing right at the rim or javel they're seven feet and you're luca and you're coming off this screen that dwight powell sets it doesn't matter what your man is doing anymore because you're one-on-one with the center who is parked right at the rim and so there's like a little in-between area if you want to pull up for a 15 footer but teams are trying to avoid those shots and because that man is at the basket you're scaring the ball handler away from taking it at you and then because he's at the basket there's no rotations needed so none of your shooters are open so basically the the only outcome that is good from this play is to kick it back to the center for a three but you know Dwight Powell and there's a lot of other big men uh just aren't quite there they're not uh, consistent enough for from three to to really warrant you know uh, giving them five or ten attempts a game or whatever. And the other thing the ball handler can do, or like very elite ball handlers can do, and Luca doesn't have the skill skill in his his arsenal is like a Dame Lillard. If you imagine a Dame Lillard, he'll run that once, maybe maybe twice, try to get the guy stuck, and once he gets on the other side, he'll have a pull up three. But Luca is not, you know, Luca shoots a bunch of threes. They're they're isolation threes. He doesn't have the pull around a screen. And he can't rise up for that pull-up three and hit it consistently uh, like a Damian Lillard or a Stephen Curry could. And so if he develops that, that does help invalidate that coverage. But because he can't do that efficiently and consistently, um, he does have to go into the lane. And, and then he's kind of stuck. He's got you know a big man just sitting there. He's got you know Dwight Powell behind him, uh, who isn't an efficient three-point shooter. And so his best, you know, a lot of times the best case scenario is going to be like an eight-foot floater out of that. And that's what Brooklyn did. The, the, the Brooklyn game on January 2nd that I mentioned, that's, that's what happened. Uh, Dwight Powell wasn't able to hit two threes. They, they had, I think, eight straight uh, failed off in, offensive possessions. Uh, Dwight Powell didn't hit those two threes, and they pulled him four minutes in. 
and they put Maxi in. And Maxi, because he can space, DeAndre has to go out there um, more so. And and all of a sudden, the, the Mavericks win that game easily because because Maxi is you know taking uh, you know he starts the second half, he's taking all the starter minutes, and he ends up being like plus seventeen while Dwight was minus five for that game. And I'll remind you, the the, the Mavericks win by twelve. So clearly, uh, you know Maxi was the more effective player uh, in that type of coverage. And we just have concerns and and real concerns that that any playoff team will play Dwight like that, um, and and I think that's a that's a serious thing to consider, and, and it's why yeah. And Maxi helps minimize that, and, and so I've I've long held the belief that if you can have a stretch big that can defend, that's that's what you want right now, right? Like having that floor spacing is better than having the vertical spacing, right? Ma- For Maxi right minimizes that and. KP alone as the five makes exactly. that like invalidates and, that you and, cannot play drop coverage right. if KP is the only five and everybody and, else is stretching. And exactly, exactly what I was going to say. And that's where having Maxi uh, is gives you an advantage over Dwight because Maxi can space the floor effectively, but also doesn't give up a ton on defense. So on the aggregate, he's probably a more valuable player on the court. And I haven't looked at the numbers. This is eye test, but uh, well, that would be my need, guess. If you need size, then right. in, a, in a playoff series, then right. then I, I would probably agree with you. But if you're just trying to maximize your spacing, then I would say going small is probably the best way because defenses just can't cheat off KP. And so what you would be doing is, um, you know, if KP is your lone big man and you're running pick and roll with Luca, their only their only chance of stopping it is switching. Uh, and then you know you have a size mismatch, and that's where it come, it falls upon Luca to, you know, he he has shown it this season in flashes, but he's got to develop a, a consistently uh dangerous first step uh to to punish guys you know to punish big men and then kp go back to post up gate or whatever but um you know they tried it it didn't really work out and so if that shot comes back that's great and if not he can just step back from three and all of a sudden he's got like a six five guy and he's not going to be able to contest kp's shot and so um, that kind of solves all of their problems offensively. Defensively is where things could get tricky because it does depend on the opponent you're playing and everything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they have a lot. I, I guess the good thing about all of this is that they have a lot of flexibility, and I don't think that teams will uh, just totally take that away from them in the regular season anytime soon. I don't think the NBA is that evolved yet. I think it might be another five or ten years, but things are changing fast. I mean, yeah. it, five years ago, you could be a non-shooting four and you'd be fine, but now if you're a four, you can't shoot. I mean, it's almost like you can't even play. So uh, things do develop very quickly and they evolve quickly, but right now, in the regular season at least, I don't think it's that big of an issue. Bobby, I just got to point out you missed a chance to say maximize the shooting. Oh, the spacing. man. Yeah. We were talking. We were talking about Bigman too. It would. It would have been perfect. It would have been. Bigman absolutely hey, perfect. But but also, don't forget the more options that you give a coach like like Carlisle, the better, because he's going to find a way to make to to figure out what works. I mean, if you look at what this team has done with the lack of talent, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it. He's like a he is a washed point guard whisperer to a certain degree. Like guys that that just couldn't do stuff elsewhere he has gotten a lot out of them and so if you just give him these tools he's going to figure out a way to make it work like he's proven proven that um for my money i I think maxi is the best option right now and potentially going forward got to see what dwight looks like when he comes back um but maxi's ability to defend guys weird guys like zion who um you know beasts every big in the league except for maxi I mean, that, that means something. And they're going to be playing the Pelicans a lot. I mean, the Pelicans are going to be really good, really fast. And that's one of the teams they're going to have to beat. And, and just the fact that he can guard Zion and space the floor pretty well, uh, I think he's going to get a lot of minutes there. Yeah, we do need to wrap this up. But let me ask you guys a two-part question. And, and we can do it on this. I just need yes, no answers and maybe a sentence if you want to to explain. But... Will Dwight Powell be on the Mavericks roster when the 2021-22 season starts? So two seasons from now. And if he is, will he be starting next to Porzingis? I think no for both. With no insight on it whatsoever. Right, right. We're just, no. we're just thinking. Yeah, I think no. Just given the salary cap constraints they're going to run into, they're going to try to add a third star. I mean, I, I think that when you have a guy who is or was as productive as he was on the deal he was on, um, 
he if he can come back and be ninety percent of that, he's going to have value for a team, and and he'll you know they'll they'll be able to move him to clear space or or you know and sign and trade or something like that. Robert Carrera. I kind of think that he's going to be here for the rest of his career, probably. Wow. Uh, if it's up to him, uh, I think he loves it. I think they love him. As far as his role, um, I don't know. I guess it depends on the roster. I would say probably won't be the starter. If I, I mean, if I had to guess. But the beauty of the whole thing is that he's not going to pout if he doesn't start. So I think he's just down for whatever. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my answer. Maybe maybe that's too like too happy given what we just talked about. But I, I really think that that's how it's going to play out. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you. I think that he is a interesting person to put into a trade if the Mavericks find someone they really want, you know, a, a third star type to add, um, even if it's not quite a star. Like he's an interesting player, and you've got to factor that in. And I, like I don't think that they're like going to waive him. And I think they are absolutely the Mavericks would love to keep him around as a lifer. Um, it, it's just like you have to consider that they are also looking for to improve the roster through trade and that Powell could be someone who's a, who is a consideration there. That said, I think they, I think they hang on to him. I don't think he's starting. And I think, I think that's a, that's a good role because he has a lot of value in the regular season. Um, even, even if he, he drops out of the rotation, uh, by the, by the postseason. So I think, I think he's that's just a good answer. dude with good hair. And, uh, he, he also know. is that. Yeah. I'll, 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 yeah. Last thing I'll say, and, and then we'll seriously get out of here and, and we have got some audio coming up next, but you know, he is, I write this in the piece I wrote on Wednesday about about Powell's future. Um, it's, it's it's one of the first things I say is that he is a culture carrier of the Novitskian culture that was set in place by Dirk, and I think that's really important to this franchise. His his hard work ethic and, and just his overall demeanor, though the way that he approaches the sport, is something that the Mavericks really care about and really want you know to have him around to to be able to help carry that forward so that is absolutely a factor in here and while we focused on the basketball part obviously players are not assets they're humans and that is also something that always has to be taken in consideration even if it's easy to kind of skip by it on a podcast like this so i'll say that anybody uh bobby dave any any final thoughts to, to toss in there I'm glad after all the free podcast exposure I've given you over the years, you finally are uh, starting to repay it, Tim. So thank you for having me. But this this was fun. So I, I appreciate you all having me on. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 love, have... I love to see somebody else sticking it to Tim. That's, I've, been that's... Doing, I've been doing you favors by giving you free content, and you're trying to spin it as exposure. Jeez. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I don't know how the Cato Hive is going to take this. They're going to be all yeah. in your mentions. There's, there's going to be some some tension online on all the on all the chat rooms, all the forums. <laughs> all right, Bobby, Dave, thank you both. Um, if you want to read that Dwight Powell piece, uh, go to theathletic.com slash seventy seven minutes in heaven for forty percent off. That's forty percent off. That's a great deal. That's theathletic.com slash seventy seven minutes in heaven. And now we're going to kick it to uh, another story that is on the athletic that that I that I wrote or authored, I should say. I talked to Bill Walton, the famous, the wonderful, one-of-a-kind Bill Walton. And he has some interesting Mavericks ties, including being an integral part of Rick Carlisle's first date with his now-wife, Donna. And so I think that's really interesting, and we're going to play some of that audio for you. It's not going to be the entire thing, so if you want to see the entire entire Q&A that I published with him, that's on The Athletic. Uh, be sure to go read that. But uh, but yeah, let's let's go to the audio, and let's go to Bill. Hey, Bill, how are you? Uh, Tim, Bill Walton here. What have you been doing this quarantine? I'm busier than ever, Tim. Yeah. Doing what? Uh, I am working to raise awareness, consciousness, and resources for the people who are the victims of COVID-19 and the people who uh, are doing everything that they can to lift the burden and ease the pain and suffering. We're lucky. We're super lucky. Yes. The, the public positions that Mark Cuban takes every day, every day. It's, uh, it's, it's been a, a, a remarkable example of leadership, of, of, uh, of conscience, of spirit and soul. It's been the best. It's been the best of humanity. We, we, we salute Mark. We acknowledge 
you uh you went on an episode of Shark Tank with with Cuban once, uh, if, if I saw yeah. that correctly. What what yeah. type of person was he behind the scenes? That was a surprise. Uh, <laughs> a surprise to, to him and everybody else because there's no interaction between the contestants on Shark Tank and the sharks. Right. And uh, so, but you know, I I uh, I'm a Mark Cuban fan and have been ever since he got started in this. Uh, what he has done for the Mavericks, because you're covering the Mavericks on this, right? Right, right. And so, you know, what he has done in building that franchise, and I was there at the very beginning, and I was in, it was in 1980, and, and they had just, they had just been awarded the franchise, and it was, you know, you know, this is a franchise that's only had three owners. Right. And, and so, and I've known them all. Donald Carter at the beginning, uh, Ross Perot Jr., and now Mark. And, you know, Norm Sanju was the initial uh, general manager. Right. And so Norm, they did not, there was, you know, there were local media packages in those days were, you know, what they were. And so uh, Norm uh, called up some pe- the people in Los Angeles and said, hey, look, you know, can we use, can you do our local TV package? He said, well, we're in L.A. we got other stuff we're doing here. They said, oh, man, we need, we need some help. And so they said, okay. And so the guys, uh, and so the guys in, in L.A., at KT, KTLA, that was, the, that, that was the station. That was the station that had broadcast UCLA basketball when I was playing there. And and, and so they suggested to Norm, that you know, because I was injured, not able to play. And, and so Norm and Norm said, yeah, I was in with Happy Old did the broadcaster. And so I did it. And it was fantastic. And I worked with Frank Lieber at the beginning. And it was tons of fun. And I would fly in uh, and do the games and then meet the team on the road. Uh, and there was not a lot of games on in those days. And, but uh, it was a great experience. And my, my brother, having been a member of the Dallas Cowboys, was uh, was instrumental in, in helping uh, uh, pave uh, uh, pave a smooth road for me to make that uh, tra- transition uh, at that time. And then I I went back to playing, and I uh, I was able to play a little bit again. And then uh, I I couldn't play anymore. And then in the nineties uh, they asked me to come back. The Mavericks did, you know. So it was it was just one season initially, and then one season in the nineties, or was it more in the nineties? Um, no, I think I did. I, did, I think I did three seasons in the nineties. Okay, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's not on Wikipedia, and and so you know, in in our modern society, it's almost like this this never happened, and so it's it's interesting to to actually uh, to hear from you and 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 see this was was the was the constant travel like that, that that you weren't based in Dallas was that a taxing part of the job or sustainable or how how did that work I live in San Diego which is my hometown and it's, you know, where we live is my dream right and, and please, please note that uh, where are you from Tim I'm I'm from Dallas I'm here in Dallas and I'm from here as well it is easier to get from San Diego to Dallas and it is from San Diego to Los Angeles. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, you know, we live near the airport. We jump on the plane. Dallas airport's on, you know, an excellent, excellent airport. It is. And, so, uh, and Reunion Arena was, was right down there. And, uh, the Hyatt Hotel was right there. And so it's... Uh, you know, I, I, I've been on the road. I've been on the, you know, I left home when I was 17. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, you, you know, I've been on the road ever since. I'm 67, so that's 50 years. Right, right. Yeah. Real quick, just about that Mavericks team. Is there, is there any games or moments or players that stand out to you either the first time or the second time? Well, the professionalism of Frank Lieber. Yeah, all the same broadcaster and even better human being. Uh, and then the, the the you know the team it was an expansion team in 1980. Right. And I I mean you you would have to tell me 
who some of those players are. I mean, I <laughs> being teammates with him. I, I have to ask before we move on from that, do you have any great stories of, of you know, from, from back in the day being teammates, you know, sharing locker rooms and experiences and all these things? Well, just what, you know, what a committed and determined player he was. Yeah. And, and you know, this is a guy who epitomizes everything that I believe. Yeah. Have a dream, create that dream. And build your life. And don't sit around and wait. And, you know, his, you know, to, to be Rick Carlisle's teammate, to be his friend, to be involved with the story of, of, uh, of his first date with his wife, Donna, and, <laughs> and to, uh, and, and, to end up on the morning after the Celtic Championship in 1986 to wake up with Rick Carlisle's shirt on. And, <laughs> and it, it, it's an endless list. And, and, you know, and, uh, but of, of all the great things that have happened in, in, in that personal relationship, because uh, you know, I'm significantly older than Rick. And and to see where he has ended up is one of the great, you know, is one of the great uh, elements of, of of pride in my life. Uh, in that you know, because this. 
know, from, you know, from working his way onto a, a great championship team and to becoming uh, an excellent contributor uh, in everything to uh, to make it the transition to what's next in life. And now, you know, he has, you know, he's been the head coach at one of the marquee franchises in the NBA for, I don't even know how many years. I mean, is it 10 years, 11 years? I, I don't know. I think 12, 12 or 13. Which is a staggering number. And the, the turnover of coaches, and for him to be able to, to do that and to be the head of the coaches association and all the responsibilities that that brings with it. You know, because when you when you, when you come from where he came from, you know, college teammate of Ralph Sampson, ch- you know, changing schools coming up, uh, CBA. This is a, this is all as a player, you know, right? Getting you know, getting cut, uh, you know, being alone with nothing, uh, and, and then and then having that. And then getting to the top with the getting to the top with uh, with a spectacular well, I'll say it this way: getting to the top with the most successful franchise in the history of the NBA, and 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 uh, and, and becoming friends with uh, with Larry Bird and and. And having the relationship with Kevin and Chief and DJ and Danny, and then you know having to start uh, uh, completely over again, uh, it, which is not unique. Everybody has to do that, but with the way he's done it, the way he's built it, by going anywhere and everywhere and doing everything, and just it, it's. This is uh, truly one of the one of the great stories that I've ever witnessed. Well, I do I do have to go back and ask um, how does how does one get involved with the teammates' first aid if, if that's a story you can share even a few more details on? <laughs> sure, it's a, it's a it's kind of a long story. I I love stories. It's uh okay. it's, it's that's that's the business. <laughs> okay, so it was in the it was in the. Uh, Toward the late '80s, either '80s, probably '87 or '88 or something like that. He'll have, he'll have the exact date. Okay. You know, this was, you know, this was a different world. This was, this was, uh, you know, no cell phones, no computers, no way to ever reach anybody other than hopefully the person is sitting next to their landline telephone that you have one number for, right? And right. So, and so I get a call, and I pick up the phone, and it's Rick Carlisle. And he says, Bill, I need some help. I said, oh, well, sure, what do you got, Rick? I was, I was home in San Diego, and uh, I don't know what, uh, what I was doing. He says, he says uh, Bill, Bill, uh, I'm here in Washington, man. I met this girl, Donna, and I'm just like... I, I'm going to marry this girl, Bill. And, uh, and, and, he, and he said, but Bill, you know, the, the Grateful Dead, you know, this is our first date tonight, Bill, and I want to take her to the Grateful Dead show <laughs> at Capitol Center in Washington, D.C. And I said, Rick, this, you know, and I, so I, I, you know, the Grateful Dead in those days, they would always mail me the itinerary. So, you know, I didn't even know that there was a dead show that night. It was in Washington, D.C., and I was in California, or I would have been at the show. And so, uh, but there was no way to reach anybody at the Grateful Dead because it was already late in the afternoon. And so I said, look, just go to the show. Go to the show because we're going to be at the Capitol Center where we all used to play. The the Dead always played the same buildings we played as basketball players. And so I said, just go to the Capitol Center and go to the back door, knock on the back door and ask for Ramrod. And he said, oh, that'll never work. I said, that's your chance, you know, because, you know, the Grateful Dead, you could never get a ticket. And then it sold out every show. And so, and so he goes to the Capitol Center with Donna and going through the crowd. And, 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 and so and Donna's like a 
wait a second, we're going to a concert, we don't have any tickets, or we don't have anything. <laughs> this is our first date, what am I doing here with this guy? And so they get to the back door somehow, some way, and Rick knocks on the door, and this big, burly guy answers the, opens the door and says, who are you and what do you want? And Rick in this you know, very quiet, very shy way says, is Ramrod there? Is Ramrod here? And the guy steps back and, and, and said, who are you? And what do you want Ramrod for? And Rick says, because uh, I told Rick just to go, go to that back door and ask for Ramrod. And so Rick said to the guy, my name is Rick Carlisle, and Bill Walton told me to come and ask for Ramrod. And so the guy said, well, he, he kind of relaxed a little bit and said, wait here. So he closed the door. Five minutes late, five minutes later, Ramrod shows up. You know, Ramrod comes to the back door. And he knew Rick because Rick had been to a whole bunch of concerts with us before. And, and so uh, Ramrod says, come on in, Rick, and, and bring your, you know, your lovely young friend. Uh, and so Ramrod walks him in through the back door, takes him up, puts him right on the front, right on the stage, about ten feet away from Jerry Garcia, gives him two chairs and a cooler full of drinks, and he says, "Enjoy the show." <laughs> and, and, and Rick and Donna are still married to this day. And that was their first date. Oh, that is that is incredible, man. We all we all need stories like that uh, in in these times. <laughs> That's the way life works with the Grateful Dead, <laughs> and, it, and it always has, and hopefully it always will. It's a great Thanks. it's a great ender. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Bill. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation, and really appreciate appreciate talking to you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Tim. That's our episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Dave. We'll be back next week with another episode of 77 Minutes in Heaven.